We all have been so moved by examples of courage and valor. We have all kinds of women in the world today, and every woman can be a woman of valor. And we've seen throughout Scripture that married, single, young, old, divorced, widowed, God is calling all women to be women of valor. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've studied Proverbs 31, you know it's God's outstanding tribute to women. One translation refers to the Proverbs 31 woman as a woman of valor. With this in mind, David and Marilyn Chadwick continue our series simply called Valor. Today, we'll start off in Proverbs 31 in a teaching they call Rise Up. Well, let me begin again by asking you, what's your definition of valor? Well, I don't know if it's my definition, but the dictionary says that valor is simply courage in the face of danger. And whether or not you know how to define it, you know it when you see it, right? We all have been so moved by examples of courage and valor probably throughout our lifetime. But what's so awesome about God's word is when you look at the valor, that word for valor in the Old Testament, um, where it's used about 100 times, it means everything from God's angel armies to God himself as your defender and your warrior, to King David's mighty fighting men, to Gideon, who we saw was called out by God as a mighty man of valor, even when he was cowardly and hiding. He became one, though. Um, So valor means everything from military might to wealth to troops to armies to courage to virtue and then of course valor it's often talked about with women one of the women we've looked at who's described as a woman of valor is the proverbs 31 woman and there's a verse uh, that we wanted to read to you it says a woman of valor who can find and again Marilyn that term eshet child would you explain that again and then maybe refer to the meaning of it and how they can use it yeah and if any of you have ever read proverbs 31 i'm sure some of you in here are pretty familiar with that chapter you might have tried to avoid it like i did because it looked like a long list of about 21 i see some heads nodding about 21 verses about you know what kind of an awesome woman you're supposed to be that can do everything and still look great while doing it and so women throughout the the years at least on our side of the ocean have kind of looked at that as our to-do list and it made us kind of feel a little bit inadequate but when i looked through about 21 different bible versions and i came to number 21 the 21st version was the orthodox jewish bible and it translated eshet hail correctly from the hebrew which is woman of valor and it caught me off guard and i'm like why did i never see that and as I did a little more research, I found out that woman of valor is a very common term among Jews and Messianic Jews all over the world. In fact, all over the world, every night on Shabbat, or the night before Shabbat, which is Friday night for them, I guess this would be our night before the Sabbath, right? Mm-hmm. But the husbands in the family will recite, or if she's lucky, I guess, or unlucky, sing these verses, these very why, verses. Why did she, that she look get. at me when she said that? <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. I, mean, I didn't but, have uh, that bad a voice. It's not, yeah. you know, no, you've okay. got a good voice. I would be fortunate if you were to do that. You want to do it right now? <laughs> I got sunshine. <laughs> Come on here. No, okay, I'll stop. Okay, so anyway, somebody actually took the Hebrew and then interpreted it in English. This is not the Bible translation, but it's a pretty good Hebrew translation of the poem because it is a poem. It's an acrostic poem, and this is pretty much what is sung to the woman of the home um, the night before Shabbat. And as we talked about last week, 
Generally, that's a married woman with children. But we have all kinds of women in the world today, and every woman can be a woman of valor. And we've seen throughout Scripture that married, single, young, old, divorced, widowed, God is calling all women to be women of valor. And as one Jewish blogger said, she was kind of set free from that stereotype when she realized that as she walked into the homeless shelter where she worked each morning before going to her Wall Street job, she was just felt overwhelmed by the quiet that that was her household and that she wasn't left out. She was a woman of valor. So it's an exciting term, isn't it, David? It really is, and there are other biblical examples of it, and we wanted to end the series today by looking at another great woman of valor in the Bible named Deborah. Uh, in the Old Testament from the book of Judges. And again, if you don't know the book of Judges, let me give you a quick oversight. Uh, It is the continual study of Israel's history being in a place of greatness before God's eyes, then they slowly but surely fall into sin and then degradation. They start being oppressed by enemies. They cry out to God. God raises up a judge, and a judge then brings them back to that place of greatness before God. And it's the continual cycle that repeatedly goes through these judges throughout the book of Judges. And we had Gideon, Gideon being one of those one of a those. couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. Samson is a Samson's judge. A judge. Uh, so there are several. But another that's very interesting is Deborah, who held two offices in Israel, not only as a judge, but also a prophet, the first one to hold both of those offices, only one of two with Samuel being the other. And it really is interesting, ladies, that God raised up a woman to a position of spiritual leadership Mm -hmm. in all of Israel. Talk some about Deborah. Yeah, it's interesting. We don't know a whole lot about her, do we, David? Was she married? Well, we sense that she was married. We don't know whether she had children or not, but she was indeed married. And interestingly, there was a tree that was named for her. We see this in Judges chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Let me read these verses to you. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah, there's the tree that was named for her, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So there's that spiritual leadership part as a prophet and also a judge. People would come to her tree, which, again, this must have been written at a later later stage of her her life life, because she had a tree named for her. (laughs) A lot of people may have come to her and sought her wisdom with spiritual matters and also being a judge on what was right or wrong. So she's well-respected and greatly admired. Yeah, it wasn't a shrub. It was a tree, so she'd probably been there for a while. And I don't think she stayed there all the time, but she probably had a home, and then she would go. This is where she held court, you know, the Judge Judy of her world. So it's just interesting to me that, again, we don't know what what was going on with her husband. We don't even know if he was still alive. We don't know if she did or didn't have children, but apparently the writer of Scripture, who we think was Samuel on this one, uh, didn't feel like he had to explain it all. He just wanted to talk about what God was using her to do. And when you were a prophet, and again, remember, she was the very first one to be called a prophet, it meant you probably spent a lot of time with God and you heard his words and then you spoke forth his words to other. And she did this. She summoned a guy named Barak, who was apparently the military general of a very broken down nation. And let's pause for just a minute to let people know that like in Gideon's day, these folks had lived a disobedient life and were being torn up by the Canaanites. It said that village life had almost ceased and the warriors had all run away into hiding. So she summons this guy, and we don't even know where he was, but she summoned, let's see, she summoned Barak and called him to go into battle. She said, and this is from Judges 4, 
Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Natali and the people of Zebulun? And from what we know at that point, these guys weren't even warriors. You know, they had run away. It was a very broken down people. And the Canaanites were godless beyond words. You cannot believe what they would do. Child sacrifice, all kinds of sexual godlessness. They were just an awful people, and yet they now were in control of God's holy chosen people. So for Deborah to rise up and go to Barak, a military general, and say, enough is enough. Yeah. We're going to get rid of the Canaanites was quite an important moment in Israelite history. Yeah, and it must have caused him a little fear and quaking because um, he, Barak said to her, you know, basically, Deborah, if, if you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. And this is Judges 4, 8, and 9. This was probably not so much out of fear. Everybody goes, oh, this was plan B. You know, Deborah just went because Barak was afraid to go. And I don't, I don't personally think that. And the reason is he was listed in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament as one of the great heroes of the faith. So I don't think they'd have called him a hero if this was being considered cowardice. Yeah. I just think he really liked Deborah's influence in his life. He heard from God. Remember, she was the only prophet at that point. So he probably liked feeling close to God and he knew that if he wanted to win in battle, he needed to get a lot of people to come follow him. And they weren't around. They had all left in fear. Well, I think it speaks well too, don't you, that Deborah was so respected in the Israelite community that when Barak yeah. said, I'm only going to go if you go, that's not at all <laughs> it. He was smart. Yeah. He knew that she was so well-respected that if she went with him, there'd yeah. be a number of people who would follow just yeah. because she was so respected as a woman of valor. Yeah, and I'm pretty impressed with her, too, because I'm thinking if somebody called me and said, let's go over to the border of Syria and fight ISIS, and I'm not trained as a warrior, which she wasn't, I think it's pretty brave, yeah. you know, that she went. And she does go, and she has an astounding victory. Uh, what's interesting, too, is there's another woman who steps to the plate as a kind of woman of valor as the uh, Israelites are winning the battle over the Canaanites and the head of the Canaanite army flees. He goes into a tent and needs some rest and has a Jewish woman who cares for him. He falls asleep and then while he's asleep, she drives a tent peg through his temple. Woman of valor, I would say. Yeah, her name was and, Jael. Her yeah. story's so dramatic, we thought we'd need a whole other sermon to talk about her. But you can go read it. Go read Judges 4 and 5. But the point was, Deborah even prophesied that because in Judges 4, 14, she basically says to Barak, get up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera, this is the guy that got the tent peg in his head, um, into your hands, does not the Lord go out before you? Um, so he leaves, but basically the next verse, she, she says, and God is going to give this Sisera over into the hands of a woman. So she was prophesying that a woman was going to be the one to finally take him down. Barak de defeated him, and then he ran off and got the tent and, peg incident. And then Israel is returned to a position of greatness under Deborah and Barak's leadership, and for a while they do really well until they fall back into the sinful conditions of the neighboring nations. Then the next chapters are the Midianites come and conquer, which is the story of Gideon, the next judge that's raised up. But the point that we wanted to make here with this whole question of valor is we're in a war today. Well, Deborah we're in a real thought, war. Yeah, and I think Deborah realized that for them then 
just like we realize that now. Um, let's look at when she actually went into action because we don't know what, what caused her to rise up. But in Judges 5, it says, she's saying this, basically, the villagers ceased in Israel. And some translations say that actually the warriors ceased. So the warriors had quit fighting. They ceased to be, in other words, they ceased to fight until I arose, I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. So she rose up. There's that word, rise up. Last week we talked about, in Proverbs 31, it talked about her children rise up and call her blessed. And I, I shared with people that that word in the Hebrew is kum, for rise up. And it's not just stand to your feet. It's talking about being strengthened and established and successful and victorious. Which When she rose up, then she called other people to rise up with her. And I think that's kind of what we're feeling like needs to happen today. She called Barak and others, rise up. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and to fight this battle that is around us. Well, and she rose up first. Isn't that interesting? She said, I arose, and we don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't really tell us what grabbed her, but something made that woman, I think she'd just had enough. <laughs> and she rose up and went into action, then she called Barak to rise up. And look what else she did. I kind of like this girl. You know, she said, um, this is out of Judges 5, 8, and 9, and realize she's talking about idolatry here. Because remember, I said that the people had fallen into great disobedience. So she said, when new gods were chosen, when the people were idolatrous, then the war was in the gates. Was a shield or a spear to be seen among the 40,000 in Israel? In other words, there were no warriors anymore. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who willingly offered themselves among the people. In other words, she is really encouraging the ones that had the courage to fight to get in the battle. But if you go back and read the rest of this chapters again, just open up your Bible sometime this week, read chapter 4 and chapter 5, and read how she calls out by name the tribes that didn't go. She called the ones to rise up that went, like Barak and others, and then she calls out the ones that were disobedient and didn't go. And this is the time, I think, to call us out to go into the world and make a difference. Um, I, f I love this phrase, Marilyn. It says from Deborah's words, when new gods were chosen, mm -hmm. it, it looks like the people of Israel chose the new gods yeah. other than the God who ruled their country. And, and I just think in our nation as well, there are a lot of new gods. There are just a lot of new gods that, first of all, individuals are buying into, families are buying into, cities are buying into, and our nation is buying into. As I said last week, and I've said repeatedly, my greatest fear for the American Christian church is not that we would be persecuted. For persecution figures out quickly who's truly on the Lord's side. In fact, the church has grown mostly under persecution. The church in China today is exploding with millions upon millions of believers with persecution because you really know who believes and doesn't. But my greatest fear is that Christians in America will become American. That we will think the Christian life is the American mantra and nothing could be farther from the truth. We, we bought the gods of materialism and sexuality and possessions and our life being formed by what other people think of us. I mean, all of these false gods that are giving us our identity instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. So 
we've tried to call all of us, men and women alike, to be people of courage, to be people of valor, and to stand against these new gods that are imbibing us in our lives that should be rooted totally and solely in Christ. Well, and you know, I think you and I both probably would agree that one of the casualties of these false gods has been the, um, the breakdown of the family. In every community, mm-hmm. but the breakdown of the family. So if I were the devil, that's what I'd do. If I wanted to introduce new gods into the culture, I'd break down the family where moms and dads are the primary influencers of their children to follow Jesus and bring other gods into calling them and wooing them away. And you know, we talked some at length last week about covenant love throughout the body of Christ, how we love each other in the body as a witness to the world. They're, they don't understand that kind of covenant love that's unconditional. But there's also good news for marriages. And you know, friends, I think it's time to win some wars that we've been losing. And you know, the news is not quite as bad as you might think when it comes to marriages among Christians. You know, you hear these statistics like, oh, one out of two marriages are broken up and Christians are no better. And I've been digging around a little more this week. I alluded to it last week. I wasn't quite sure of the statistics now, but a a really significant Gallup poll, and this was not a Christian poll, but these researchers studied Christians and found out numbers of years ago that couples that just prayed together every day, just prayed together, had a one out of 1,100 plus divorce rate as opposed to one out of two. Think about that. One out of over 1,100 ended in divorce. Now, that's really good news. Since that time, there have been several different studies that have really looked at the behaviors even more in depth, like worship attendance and whether they read the Bible together, whether they serve together, um, and and the, the odds get even better. And so I think you know, if we will fight this fight and win the wars that we should be losing, we should be a model for the watching world. And, and our friends in all communities all over this city should be able to say, we're going to have stronger marriages. Yeah, the world says marriage is a contract. The Bible says marriage is a covenant. Covenant means I'm not going anywhere. And Christian marriages that break up in divorce should be rare and few. And if they are, then we ask the question, are they praying together? Are they worshiping together? Are they studying God's word together? Because that cements two to become one. And Jesus said what God and his spirit is joined together, no person can ever separate. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a clear perspective on who God is. We'll be right back. In our community, there are countless people at the intersection of homelessness and addiction. I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. For over 80 years, we have been helping these men and women who struggle with addiction. You've probably seen the individuals who stand at the end of the interstate ramp. They're holding a sign that says, hungry, we'll work for food. And maybe you've felt a skepticism of how are they going to use any money that I give them? What do those individuals truly need? Well, at Charlotte Rescue Mission, we are all about transformation. At our men's campus, which is called Rebound, and our women's campus, which is called Dove's Nest, we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, 
high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who would otherwise not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community whose lives have unraveled due to an addiction. Charlotte Rescue Mission is so grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church in making this transformational ministry possible. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Yes, Jen, I hope you're doing well today. I am, thank you. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote that God is God, and I am not. Well, thank goodness, number one, I'm not. But this sounds like wisdom of the ages we should all listen to. You know, it's something that someone said to me years ago when I was going through a problem and trying to control it and make sure it all worked out and I couldn't find any answers. And this person said to me, David, remember, God is God and you're not God. And most of your problems come when you get those two things confused. Hmm. Wise words. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. We need to take time regularly, mm -hmm. daily, even by the hour, yeah. just to remind ourselves God is God and I'm not God. And again, most of my problems come when I get those two things confused. It's all about his power, his might, his sovereign control over everything in my life. Now, let me ask all of our listeners right now, just, just to take a few moments and try to think through all of those areas you're trying to control. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Remember, everyone, what it is that you're holding in your hands and you refuse to let go of it. Well, today, pry your puny fingers loose from that problem and give it to God. Don't follow the path of Adam and Eve, for they were tempted to be God and to control everything themselves. As a result, all of the world has become corrupted. You corrupt your own life when you keep trying to control everything and be God. You know, when I do this and let my problems go and give them to God, they become smaller. They're reduced. Take some time today to be still before God, quiet before him. Open your hands now. Give it all to him. Refuse to take your problems back. Let go. Let God. And now feel his peace. That's the message today, Jen. That is a now word. That's what I like to call a now word with everything going on, David, in today's world. We can take on these global issues that, honestly, I'm convinced we were never created to actually know the intricate details of governments falling and all of these burdens and persecutions. And it's amazing that we do know so we can pray. But when we pray, are we really letting go? Uh, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, information overload right. can cause anxiety. And then we start taking on the burdens of the world that God never intended mm -hmm. for us to carry. I think that's what 1 Peter 5, 7 means when Peter tells us to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. Mm -hmm. And I think about how much he cares for us. Well, first of all, the incarnation. Mm -hmm. We see that in the evidence that God would leave heaven and come to this earth. But we also see it in the cross, mm -hmm. the love of the Father through Jesus, his son, where he pours out all of his wrath upon his son and not us because of great abiding love. So when you realize how much God cares for you, you can cast all your cares upon him, mm -hmm. say, this is in your hands. I'm letting it go. I'm not taking it back, and I'm moving on with my life in peace, 
trusting that you're God and I'm not God. That is so good. It reminds me of this scripture about his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Right. So this is an invitation to lighten our load and yeah. let Jesus carry it. Absolutely, Jen. And before that, Jesus says, come unto me. Yeah. And when you come to him, you can know that he's carrying your burdens and they mm-hmm. become light. Come to me. Everyone who's worrying today, go to Jesus. Give him your problems. Know that he cares. What a great word. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, and everyone, if you'd like to receive daily from me a written moment of hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org and you can subscribe there free of charge from my heart to yours every morning in your inbox, a daily moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for godly leadership in our schools.